0: Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, hope you're having a great day. Hey, we've got a great conversation for you, a great guest for you that we're going to be uh, be talking about speaking in the medical profession and in the medical space. A lot of people uh, come to us here at the Speak Lab and are interested in speaking in that world. And so um, I recently met uh, this friend of mine we're going to be talking with, uh, and they do a lot of speaking in that space. And so we're going to be talking about the opportunities that exist there. Before we get there, let me remind you, if you have already, you definitely still need to pick up your copy of The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. This is the step-by-step playbook and guide that we want to provide to you to uh, teach you everything you need to know about the speaking world. All right. So again, go check it out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you pick up your books. Again, the book is called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. So today we're going to be talking with uh, my friend, Ms. Nisha Mehta. And uh, Nisha does a lot of speaking in the, she's a practicing physician, a radiologist, but then like I said, uh, also does a lot of speaking and has really built a successful business for speaking to physicians. Um, so we talk about uh, how she got into it, how she balances being both being a, a practicing physician as well as a speaker and mom and wife. Uh, we talk about the different opportunities for speaking in the medical profession, whether or not you need to be a physician or a doctor or have some type of of uh, um, something on your resume that qualifies you to speak in that, in that space. Uh, we talk about who hires speakers in that world, what to talk about, and uh, all things medical, profession, healthcare, that sort of thing. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Let's jump into this conversation with Nisha Mehta. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Aloud podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today we are joined by my friend, Miss Nisha Mehta. I yes. think I got it.
1: It's I think you did I got
0: it. it. we were You're trying, trying to get it on, just trying to get it, but I, th- I think <laughs> I got it. All right. So I uh, appreciate you hanging out with us. Um, at the time of this recording, we were in the thick of this, this COVID world and you were someone that is on the kind of the, the front lines of this. Uh, and that's a little bit, we're not going to talk a, a, on all things COVID today, but uh, you come from the, the medical profession and uh, there's a lot of people who are listening who are interested in speaking in that world. And granted, again, at the time of this recording, it's, it's a little up in the air of what that world looks like, but uh, there's a lot of opportunities to speak and to help people in the medical space, uh, whether that's uh, you know hospitals or, or physicians or nurses or uh, all the ancillary different uh, opportunities that may exist. So uh, I want us to talk about that today, but first of all, why don't you give us kind of a, a snap snapshot of what your world is like um, and uh, how speaking fits into that.
1: Sure. So I am a practicing physician. I'm a radiologist. I have been speaking for about three years now. So it was an unintended pathway for me. I really, I was in academics um, as an academic physician in uh, North Carolina and we were in Chapel Hill and I was really just laser focused on medicine Long story short, we ended up making a last minute move to an area that didn't have an academic medical institution. I ended up having about six months of downtime while I found a new job and got credentialed for that job. And during that time, I started writing. And so that writing actually led to a lot of invitations to speak. And fast forward about four years later, and it's a significant portion of what I do professionally now is really going around the country and speaking to institutions and groups of physicians about physician burnout. And that is. I would say probably about 20% of my professional time now.
0: Okay, gotcha. And how many, so like ballpark, how many gigs a year are you doing usually?
1: So it's hard to say because I used to have these rules while I was working full-time about just one to two gigs a month tops. Um, And in the recent past, I actually ended up, leaving my full-time job, still working with the same group, but now working on a per diem basis. And so since then, it's rapidly escalated. So actually, um, for this speaking season, the the medical speaking season may correlate or may not correlate with what all of your normal speaking seasons are. But for for medicine, you're primarily um, from January to April. And, um, and then it picks up again in about August and goes until early December. And Mm -hmm. those are two big periods of time where things are. So for this speaking season, from January to April, I actually had about 17 events scheduled. Um, Obviously, some of them have been canceled because of COVID. But, um, but I do speak quite a bit nowadays. I was every week prior to COVID. um, I was on the road.
0: And so it sounds like, uh, from what you were saying that, that getting into speaking in your world, wasn't necessarily a, uh, something that you were trying to pursue or something you were trying to go after it just kind of started happening. So uh, yeah. what, what point, uh, cause it's one thing when you're like, okay, I got invited to speak at something here or there randomly. It's another thing to be like, that was really fun. I want to do more of that. So what was kind of your process from there of going, I did one or two gigs. That was really fun. And I, again, I would like to do more of it, but what, what, what were your next steps?
1: Right. So. The first few gigs, like you said, were just, I was invited, I said, sure, I like to speak, I like to meet people, I like to, you know, get out there, and and this was a good way to do it, let me just give it a try, and that was really the intention. But when I got on to the stage, and once I was able to really be able to not only get my work out there to a large group of people, I mean, I could do that via the writing, and arguably... You can reach thousands or tens of thousands of people throughout your writing, but just that interaction that you have with your audience and really being able to build on those conversations um, when you're there in present live, that I really loved. And so after the third or fourth one of them, I started deciding that it was something that I really wanted to do more and more of. Now, I was also working full-time as a physician at the time, so I'll have to say that I never actually really pursued them despite the fact that I decided I wanted to do more of them, I just started saying yes to more of them. Um, Previous to that, I had said no to a lot of things just because of 10 commitments and also just logistics with, you know, my husband is also a practicing physician. He's a surgeon and between our two physician full-time jobs, it was really hard to want to commit time to, to doing more speaking and traveling. And so it wasn't until I really got bit with the bug that I decided to start saying yes to more. But even then, like I said, I, I really just said one or two a month tops because that was all that fit into my schedule. And fortunately, my work was building to a degree that I was getting those invitations to be out there roughly in accordance with that, yeah. with, with that frequency that I wanted.
0: In that interim period where you're basically wearing both hats, you're a full-time physician and you're also starting to do more and more and more speaking gigs. And like you said, you're also, mm-hmm. uh, you're a mom, you're a wife, you have, you're wearing a bunch of hats, there. you have a lot of things going on. How are you, yeah. how are you balancing that?
1: Not pretty <laughs> um, it was it, it's funny because I would get all these messages where people would say, "Oh, like, how is it that you managed to do all this?" And I was like, "You do not want to be inside my household or my brain right, right. now um, it was just it was a mess um, and i I think I knew that, but it's very hard to give up something that you've been working so long to achieve, right Most of us that go to medical school it's you're looking at over a decade of training after college, and so you know, after I'd kind of been through that process, it was really hard to let go of that security blanket of, you know, this is my job, this is what I do, this is what I love. And there's some people who don't love what they do for their primary job, but I've truly loved my radiologist job. And so it was really hard for me to make the decision to try to cut back on that. Because I had this great job that I loved. I had patients that I loved. And actually, my hours were really good because I had a government job. And so it was still, you know, I still had my nights off. I still had my weekends off. And so really, I had the best of both worlds with that job. And it was really hard for me to pull the plug on it and say, this is not something that I can do full time in accordance with all the other stuff that I'm doing. So in addition to the writing and the speaking and the job, I actually also created an online community for physicians during that time that I actually started because of the speaking. I wanted to be able to talk to other people who were doing things outside of medicine, and so I I created this Facebook group called Physician Side Gigs. I started it out with about five people. Um, That group has now grown to over 56,000 physicians, and there's a sister group that sort of spun off of it that now has over 30,000 physicians, and so I was also managing these large online communities at the same time. So, you know, at, along the way, I started adding help. I started paying moderators to be able to help with some of the admin work related to some of those jobs. I, they would help me with some of my personal stuff related to my business. Um, and so I started adding help along the way, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It was all very, you know, based on the urgent need at right. that moment, um, rather than, you know, I, I listened to all these business podcasts and all these people who are really like very actively going after these alternate careers and it's so strategic for all of them and there's these steps that everybody's talking about and I was not following any of those steps it was literally what can I do in this moment right now to get this done and off my plate and and that was my life for a good I would say 18 months where it was really crunched um, where it was just and I kept I was talking to the people at work and trying to get a part-time job and so it got Prolonged that period of time. You know, when we when we initially decided that I would sort of take it full force and see where it went, we thought it would be. You know, we gave ourselves a time period of about eight to nine months where we said, "Let's make sure that this has teeth before we make any big decisions." But that eight months turned into. 18 months um because they kept saying well maybe we can get you a part-time job so i said okay let me let me pull this a little bit longer let me pull this a little bit longer until it just got to a breaking point where i was like okay i'm out i'm done i need to go to per diem and um i need to focus on the business because i just i can't you know it's not sustainable to get five hours of sleep or four hours of sleep every night it's not sustainable to be juggling all these balls all the time so um so yeah but it it was not pretty for a while (laughs) there (laughs) Right. I'll tell
0: you that. <laughs> so, you, but you mentioned at one point it felt like you had the best of both worlds, where I enjoy speaking, I enjoy building this community, mm-hmm. but I also enjoy you know my patients, I enjoy the work that I'm doing, I enjoy being a physician and a radiologist. Um, was there any scenario that made sense where you could have had you could have had your cake and eat it too and had best of both worlds? Because there are certainly speakers who are listening right now going who are feeling that of going. I okay. am dabbling with speaking, but I also have a full time fill in the blank thing that I really enjoy. That's a good thing. And so I, I don't like the idea of having to choose between two good things. So how are you kind of processing that?
1: I think for the first year and a half before the group really turned into a big, before the online community really exploded, it was manageable to do all of it and be very happy with it. You know, um, I think that that was fine as the group grew. That was really the, the cow or you know the prototypical sort of straw that broke the camel's back situation, where it was just it was too much because now I had these three big things that, in and of themselves, were each substantial time commitments, and the group really turned into a full time job in and of itself, um, and is to this day more than a full time job. that's now spread out amongst you know several people, yeah. um, but but it's still a good twenty to thirty hours of my week every day right now or every week right now, um, and in conjunction with a full-time physician job, which is, you know, generally about 50 hours a week. Um, And in conjunction with the speaking and the traveling associated with that speaking, I mean, the numbers just didn't add up. There was no way to have my cake and eat it too once the group grew.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that that today a lot of the speaking that you do in the medical space is around uh, helping physicians avoid burnout. Is that what you started speaking on?
1: So, yeah, a lot of my work... Revolves around really changing the culture of medicine. Um, I think that there is a lot about the culture of medicine that's very antiquated, and as demographics in medicine change, where there's more and more physicians who are either female or millennial or part of dual-income families, as opposed to the stereotypical model of a you know sole, generally male breadwinner in the family physician. Um, there's a lot that's really needed to evolve about the culture of medicine. So a lot of my work focuses on that and talking to institutions and really trying to help them adjust to the changing needs of their physicians. So along with that speaking, there's a fair amount of consulting that's really grouped into that as well, where I'm really trying to help institutions to come up with tangible solutions to physician burnout. So for those of you who aren't familiar with physician burnout, 70% of physicians currently say that they wouldn't recommend a career in medicine to their children. It is. Physicians have by far the highest suicide rate of any professional group in the country. Physicians have higher substance abuse rates than the general population. It's a real problem right now that the medical community is facing. And so when I first started talking about those things, I was one of very few people who were talking about it to the extent that when I first started talking about it, I actually, I used to be in academia and people from that were mentors of mine at Penn and at NYU were actually sending me emails saying, what in the world are you doing? You're going to trash your your career. You can't talk about these things publicly. Um, And for a number of reasons, it was the right time in my life to talk about those things. And I had left academia. And so I felt comfortable talking about those things. Um, And nowadays, everybody's talking about it, right? Um, and it's amazing to see how far we've come in five years where now everybody's talking about it. But once I, when I first started writing about these topics and, writing about, and speaking about these topics, there really weren't very many people that were talking about them. And I think that that was sort of um, one of the advantages, I guess, that I've had in my speaking career is that I was one of the first people to really be talking about those topics. And so it was very easy to associate a lot of that work with me from the get-go. Um and so, so, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 has been a predominant reason why a lot of institutions have contacted me to talk to their populations about physician burnout as well as to talk to their administrative teams about real solutions to physician burnout. You know, there, for a lot of when when this momentum sort of gained speed and physician burnout became a topic that a lot of people were talking about, and, and there was this increasing awareness to it the initial solutions were all things like, oh, take care of yourself, right? You know, resilience, yoga, all of those sorts of things. And at the end of the day, um, I've always maintained that physician burnout is not a physician-specific problem. It's a problem with the system and we need real organizational change. And so a lot of my business has been based on that premise that If we really want to do anything to tackle physician burnout, we need to get away from just talking about how the physician needs to be stronger or to take better care of themselves and really talk about institutional level change. And so that has really been the crux of my speaking career has really been how do we as organizations and as a society restructure the culture of medicine to better reflect the needs of physicians.
0: So uh, at the Speaker Lab, one of the things we do is we, we kind of teach through this framework uh, that makes the acronym SPEAK, S-P-E-A-K. And the first step of the of, of building your speaking business is to select a problem to solve. But one of the things that we talk about is just because you feel like a problem's there doesn't necessarily mean that organizations and groups are hiring speakers to talk about it. So right. today, a bunch of organizations and or groups may be hiring speakers to talk about physicians burnout. And mm-hmm. but five years ago, that may not have been the case. Nobody. So e- even yeah. if you're just like but this is important. And we all know this is important. It right. doesn't necessarily mean that groups are hiring speakers to talk about it. So how are you, Correct. like, how are you approaching it then from the lens of, uh, this is important. We all know it's important, but still nobody's hiring speakers to talk about it yet. It's something that I want to talk about. So how are you getting events to hire you around the thing that they know is important, but they're not hiring speakers to talk about?
1: Right. So I think initially it was, it was a very slow process getting started with the speaking because there weren't very many people that wanted to shed light on that, especially because it potentially would unearth discontent within their organizations that they didn't necessarily want to come to the forefront. Right. Um, So it was just a few people that really took a chance on, you know, saying, yeah, we're seeing this in our ranks and we've heard it enough now that we need to do something to address it. And then when they would search online to find out, you know, who could speak about those things. I was one of maybe three or four names that was coming up at the time yeah. um, because there weren't a lot of people in that realm. So that's that's really who took a chance on me at the beginning. But yeah, it was hard because I was saying these things. I was publishing articles left and right about it. And a lot of the feedback from institutions was, well, yes, we know it's a problem, but it's not one that we really wanna bring light to initially. Um, and it's funny how much the tables have turned over the past five years because now I get at least you know four or five people a week reaching out to me saying, "Hey, can you come speak at our institutions?"
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I'd be curious on is is especially early on when you are you're speaking on this thing um, that again you know people should be paying attention to and you're trying to get people to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a point where you're ever just like, "What am What am I doing? I need to pivot. I need to speak on something different." Because uh, again, even though even though it's important, doesn't mean anybody mm-hmm. else cares. Um so are right. there points where you're you're questioning like, ah, here's other here's other topics that I could talk about and maybe it's just simplify. I, ultimately I want to be a speaker in this space. Here's what they're hiring speakers to right. talk about. Um was there thoughts of, of just pivoting to something else?
1: I completely understand what your question is. I think for me it was very different because I wasn't intending on creating a physic you know, a speaking career. I was very yeah. happy being a physician. And so it wasn't, you know, the work found me, I didn't find it. Um, And so I didn't really, I wasn't doing that. That being said, certainly, when I was trying to get my work out there, one of the things that I was doing to try to get more publicity for the work that I really cared about was also writing about things that other people wanted me to write about. So I had a lot of people reaching out to me saying, hey, can you do a column for our medical students for this? Or can you do X, Y, and Z? And they weren't necessarily my central topic of interest, but I agreed to do them, to be able to create some brand awareness, to be able to get my name out um, about the other things that I really wanted to get the awareness for. So I guess that would be the equivalent to, yeah. to what your question is, is, is I really did do a lot more articles about things that, you know, I might not necessarily have picked myself, but that other people asked me to write because I knew that they had an audience. Um, you know, so for example, I did an article about a topic that actually means a lot to me, but it wasn't my central topic but I got an article out in Forbes on student debt and the burden that that has on the system, for example. Um, and that obviously created a lot of publicity for me. Um, similarly, I did a piece in position or in PBS news hour, although I, actually that one was about position burnout, but, but I, I definitely tried to get my work out to major outlets that would be able to give me more of a voice yeah. to be able to talk about the things that I really wanted to talk about.
0: Uh, So the main thing that you speak on is is physician burnout. What are some of the other primary topics that those in the medical profession and the healthcare are typically hiring speakers to talk about and are looking for?
1: So the other things, you know, I talk about a wide variety of topics. Um, Physician burnout is certainly the one that I get asked the most about, but other topics that I think are of paramount importance that people are looking for speakers for, um, changing demographics in medicine, just... You know what exactly is happening with our physician workforce the sustainability of our physician workforce because there's a physician shortage that is very real and, and increasing by the day um so there's there's people that are hiring or asking me to speak to that in terms of what is you know how do we how do we maintain a, a physician workforce that's stable i do a lot about physician and entrepreneurship and so i get asked to speak about that a lot yeah. um what else are people hiring thing, people to speak for not I mean even, obviously and yeah, not
0: even just you but just in, in general right, and in the general. industry yeah in the industry at large
1: so certainly the traditional physician speaker um, industry has been based around things like pharmaceutical companies needing physicians to speak on behalf of a lot of their uh, their products so yeah. a lot of physician speakers do work in that regard um, a lot of physician speakers also um, you know serve as representatives for their institutions when they are, you know, to the media, for example, or, or people are being asked to do things um, related to creating awareness for certain diseases and things like that. So, so certainly there are people that are getting speaking gigs in relation to products or brands um, related to either medical topics of concern generally to the population or in regards to specific treatments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, as a uh, like as a practicing physician, as a radiologist, as someone who has been featured a, a lot in the media as being a physician and being an expert in the medical space, how important is your your background and your resume? um, to being hired as a speaker at some of the events that you're, you're speaking at, meaning that there are some speakers who, who may not, they haven't been to medical school. They're not, haven't been right. in school they don't have a background in it, but they're, they're passionate about talking about it. You know, maybe their, their spouse is a doctor or their, you know, um, right. I, I overcame cancer. I have nothing to do with the medical profession other than, you know, I had this disease Now I don't have this disease and I want to talk about it, you know, and the, the yeah. medical profession seems like a, an, a, a potential obstacle. How important is it to have some level of, of um, you know, fr- front row experience? I guess as a as a physician in order to speak to other physicians.
1: I think if you're going to be speaking to other physicians, having that credibility as a fellow physician is very important because I think there's a lot of physicians out there who feel like other people don't necessarily get a lot of the challenges of physician burnout. So, for example, we've had a lot of other Institutions say, hey, you know, places I've spoken to that are planning future events. And they're saying, well, this other burnout expert has contacted me. And do you think that they would be a good speaker? And I'm on the fence a little bit because I I think it's very valuable to hear different perspectives. Um, So I think in some cases, depending on who the speaker is and how dynamic they are, that it would be really helpful to get a non-medical perspective on things. But there's a lot of physicians that say, but you don't understand, you know, our unique considerations in terms of you don't, you don't get what it's like to work 90 hours a week. You don't get what it's like to have done X, Y, and Z or have a patient die or, you know, any of those things. And so um, I think that certainly the credibility as somebody who's been in that space and who has encountered either through myself or through my husband, who's also a surgeon um, or who's a surgeon to, to be able to expound upon that knowledge is definitely, it lends me a lot of credibility with my audience. Um, That said, I think if you were a patient who is willing to speak to groups of physicians. I think that that could be really powerful um, from that experience, because a lot of times, you know, we're so caught up in the medicine side of things in terms of delivering care that we lose perspective on the people whose care we are delivering. And so I think that people really like hearing from the patients um, and and hearing that patient experience side of things, because I think that can be really powerful for us in terms of reevaluating our approaches to medicine. So I think that perspective is actually super valuable and and one that more people should get into and I think would really do a service to the medical community at large.
0: So when when people say, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, again, I'm kind of a newer speaker and I'm interested in speaking in, in, in the healthcare space or doing something with, um, you know, physicians or in the, uh, the medical community. Uh, what are some of the opportunities that, that do exist? Uh, because there's going to be, uh, it's kind of like someone saying, like, I want to speak to corporations or I want to speak to colleges. And right. It's like, well, within that, there's a lot of different opportunities yes. and kind of groups within groups within groups. So what are some of the like, common places? Like, If I want to just start looking for opportunities where I might be a good fit, uh, the various associations, hospitals, groups, we've kind of talked about like ancillary group, like a pharmaceutical group. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some of the different groups that, that are typically looking for in hiring speakers?
1: Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of grassroots organizations that could probably benefit from people who are both physicians and non-physicians in terms of places to speak. You know, I've been asked to speak at, you know, for example, nursing homes or churches or um, groups of prospective medical students. A lot of these other places that, you know, I may not necessarily have the bandwidth to go right now, but if you're a beginning speaker and you're trying to make a name for yourself and you just need some experience on your resume, there are certainly plenty of people who are looking for speakers on healthcare topics. And so I think that, you know, literally there's been, you know, PTA meetings or school meeting. There's a lot of places where you can talk about health, right? Health affects everyone. And so, um, getting in and some of those places is definitely, um, definitely a possibility. Certainly speaking at corporate wellness events, you don't necessarily have to be a physician to speak at, A corporate wellness event. I've learned, Um, and so if you have, um, if you've got some expertise in just general wellness, and you can group in some other stuff that's based with some science, but also you know other other elements. um, I think that there's a lot of events that are looking for those speakers as well, who don't necessarily want a scientific talk, but want something that um, that pertains to just general well-being and healthiness. And so you can definitely find um, events like that on just corporate levels as well. Um, within the hospital systems themselves, I think people tend to stick to their own. I think it's a lot harder to get, um, in as an outsider. That being said, like any other industry, um, you know, having internal connections to something and saying, Hey, this is something of value that I have. And particularly if it's, you know, not something that you're going to charge a lot for at the beginning, you could probably, um, you know, I, I think you would find some audiences that might be able to build up that that resume to the point where you could say, hey, I've spoken at multiple institutions about this. It was well received and I've got some people to vouch for me um, and, and then break into that realm as well. Yeah. But, you know, in general, like hospitals and institutions don't have large budgets for speaking events. And so, you know, that's been something that I sort of struggled with because of the opportunity cost of of the time right now. And they're used to a lot of people doing things for free because, you know, honestly, a lot of physicians do things for free um, when, when it's related to um, medical care. And so a lot of times when I throw out my speaking fees, that is sort of, I get, I get sort of this deer in headlights response sometimes where it's kind of like, well, we've never paid anybody more than just covering their expenses to fly out. And, um, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm not working that day. And I, earn enough as a physician that I need to at least be compensated for what, you know, I would be giving up by not working that day. Um, right. and so those, um, those speaking fees are generally, you know, if you're, if your goal is to make a lot of money, um, doing your talks, I think you really have to be, um, you have to have a very niche market in the medical realm, because a lot of, a lot of that, um, institutional money is not is not really budgeted towards speakers um, yeah. it's very different than you know with my corporate um, events that I've done it's very I'm always surprised at how easy it is for me to get my fees relative to how much I have to sort of advocate for myself to get those fees for hospitals.
0: What would you say would be the niches that do have uh, budgets
1: so certainly industry talks have a lot more budgets you know so if you're doing something for an organization of something Related, you know, that has products, um, for example, or is involved in recruitment of physicians or is involved in the legal side of medicine, um, where, you know, you've got, um, malpractice or, you know, any of these realms that are tangentially related to medicine, but have a lot of that are, that are big industry make, um, big industry, uh, realms that have huge budgets, pharmaceutical companies, research companies, um, biotech companies, any of those sorts of people, I mean, they've got, they've got money. Um, and they, they certainly are used to paying for speakers, um, at, at higher levels. And so when I talk to those people, they start out with numbers that are in the five figures and, and then it's very easy to kind of get, um, fees that I'm happy with. Whereas on an institutional level with hospital systems, you kind of need, you're going to have a hard time getting those fees unless you really have something that's unique to offer.
0: Yeah. One of the things you've kind of touched on is uh, you you seem like you've done a lot uh, in the media space and just positioning yourself as an, as an expert. There's so one of the things we've talked about is is that um, being a speaker is so much more than just uh, you know uh, um, standing on stage and, and talking. One of the best Certainly. things you can do is uh, position yourself as an expert who happens to speak on XYZ mm-hmm. topic. Uh, and one of the ways to really pos- to position your, your credibility is, is media. So what have you done? Is there anything that you've intentionally done to, that's really helped you to become a, a recognized uh, expert figure in, in the media?
1: Certainly. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the way that most people find me is literally by searching, you know, typing in physician speaker or physician and my name will come up relatively high on that list um, because of things that I've done that have high SEO. Right. Um, And so certainly um, doing articles for any major news outlet is going to help because people are going to find me. Event planners will find me just by doing a Google search on that topic. Right. Um, Similarly, I've been on the national news um, before I've been on, you know, large scale things that are, that are publicized um, quite widely. And so when those things happen, those are, I mean, they, that I will inevitably get contacted by multiple people as a result of each of those appearances saying, hey, we saw you on X, Y, and Z. Would you be willing to do X, Y, and Z? And so... I think that those are huge when you're trying to get your, I mean, what we're really talking about is brand building, right? Um, How do you, how do you establish that credibility with a brand? And I think that that is really, once people see that people that they trust have trusted you to represent a brand, then they're much more likely to ask you.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Nisha, thanks for the time. We really appreciate this. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go?
1: Uh, So my website is just nishamethamd.com so dot com. that's probably the easiest way it, it kind of will send you in a different direction for anything else that you're interested in finding out with related to what i do
0: perfect sounds good we appreciate the time All
1: right. thanks for having me on
0: All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nisha. Again, I'd encourage you to check out her work, uh, especially if you're interested in speaking in the healthcare industry, a lot of opportunities that exist there. And uh, Nisha is definitely uh, doing a lot there and knows a lot about that space. So we uh, we appreciate her sharing her, her time with us. Hey, uh, again, if you haven't already, definitely pick up your copy of The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. It is the book, the guide that you need, whether you're looking to book your first gig or your 100th gig. Uh, The Successful Speaker is the tool that you need. All right, my friends, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.